Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. It is Wednesday, August 25th. It is 10.30 a.m. And we are studying the Bible today. Thank you so much for making this part of your day uh, and for joining me. We are in the book of Hebrews still, and we are in chapter 8 today. So two weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews chapter 7, and today now we are moving on to chapter 8. Just a reminder that this is the book of Hebrews It is a New Testament book, and it was written to those who were once Jewish, but who are now Christians. And so uh, through that lens, we look at it. Through that context, we understand it. And so today we are going to read through uh, two. We have two sections from the eighth chapters of Hebrew, eighth chapter of Hebrews. And it's a beautiful chapter of Scripture and one that is so, so important to our faith that helps us understand what it means to be a Christian today just as this was explaining to the Hebrews what it meant to be a Christian 2,000 years ago. So uh, let's jump right in. Uh, We start with verses 1 through 3. Now the main point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and the true tent that the Lord, um, in the true tent that the Lord and not any mortal has set up. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Hence, it is necessary for this high priest also to have something to offer. So what does that all mean? What does that all mean? So we've been talking about the high priest the last couple of days. And uh, I'm sorry, the last few times we studied this. And this is the priest in the order of Melchizedek, uh, something different than what the Jewish people were used to, a priest in the order of Aaron, one of the Levites. And so here we have a vision of this high priest, Jesus, seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty for continual service, um, in contrast to the continual service of the priest under the, under the law of Moses in the line of Aaron. So what does that mean? Well, so the idea of the old, in the Old Covenant, the priest would, uh, would, would have no place to sit in the tabernacle or in the temple, right? There would be no chair for the priest to sit because the priest was continually working, continually serving, continually doing stuff, right? Because there was a continual need for the priest to do stuff, to make sacrifices on behalf of the people and to do other things. But according to this image, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne because Jesus's work is finished because Jesus's work is finished. What Jesus did on the cross completed what needed to be done for the people. And so as a priest, Jesus's work is finished. And and the the, the priests of the old covenant, the priests in the line of Aaron, the priests the, the priest in the line uh, that from the law of Moses, they had to keep working because they needed to continually to sacrifice. Sacrifice uh, for the people, sacrifice to uh, atone for the sins of the people. And so Jesus was a sacrifice himself. He offered a better sacrifice, a more complete sacrifice. And in Jesus, the work is done and continue. You know, it, in, in the, the Gospels, Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, meaning that the work is done. So I no longer need to work as a priest. That work is done. And so the continu- we see the continual work of the priest in the Jewish tradition no longer relevant, no longer needed, no mo- sacrifices no longer needed because Jesus was the sacrifice and Jesus did all that needed to be done. Now, here's an interesting question. Here's, an inter- here's a question that I'm, I would love to hear your thoughts. 
So if you're with us live this morning, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let me know what you think. We'd love to hear what you have to say here. Um, so Jesus dies and, uh, and for, to, to atone for the sins of the people, right? He is the sacrifice that atones for the sins of the people. So forgiveness is offered through Jesus' sacrifice. Does forgiveness equal salvation? Does forgiveness mean you get to go to heaven? Jesus died for you. Your sins are forgiven. Therefore, you get to go to heaven, right? right? It's kind of universal salvation, right? Jesus died for the sins of the world. So everyone in the world gets to go to heaven because everyone's sins are forgiven. Now, Rob Bell in his book, Love Wins, made, the, made kind of the same point. But he said basically that, that there are people in hell whose sins are forgiven because forgiveness does not equal salvation. God forgives so, so that God can let go of the anger, right? And so does forgiveness equal salvation? Or, or, uh, or in addition to that, can forgiveness be rejected? Can you say to someone, I forgive you, and they say, I'm not, I don't accept your forgiveness. I'm not interested in your forgiveness. Your forgiveness means nothing to me, right? Can that happen? Is that possible? Have you ever forgiven someone and they say to you, I'm not interested in your forgiveness. I don't need your forgiveness. I don't want your forgiveness. It means nothing to me. You mean nothing to me. And so, so I mean, that is an interesting question as we talk about salvation. Now, obviously, it's not for us to answer, but at the same time, I think it's an interesting question. Can forgiveness be rejected? We'd love to hear what you think. So if you're with us, with us live, let me know what you think. Okay, uh, great, great conversation. Uh, now we're going to move on to verses 6 through 12. And this is basically the last reading of the chapter. I think the chapter only goes through 13. It's going to be a little bit longer of a reading, but trust me, you're going to want to hear this. You are going to want to hear this. It's good. But Jesus has now obtained a more excellent ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted through better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need to look for a second one. God finds fault with them when he says, The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Listen to this. This is good, 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 good stuff. Now, like the covenant that I made with their, not like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, not like the covenant I made with their ancestors, right? When I took them out of the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I had no concern for them, says the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. That, that is what we're talking about when we're talking about forgiveness, right? I will remember their sins no more. Now, now let me ask you this. I'm sure people have, have, have offended you. People have done things that have hurt you, uh, and, and you've forgiven them, right? We forgive people, right? But, but do we get to a point where we truly forget I will remember their sins no more. You know, there's always that, that rebuilding of trust. You know, you, you forgive somebody and then to have a relationship with them, you have to rebuild trust, right? And so, uh, but you're always kind of skeptical because you remember. You remember the things they've done. You remember that one time. And so you might move 
beyond it, but it takes a little while to rebuild that trust. But this is what God says. This is, this is divine forgiveness. This is God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness says, not only do I forgive you, but I will remember your sins no more. I, I, they're not even a part of the back of my mind. They're gone. I have let them go, right? And so that is, that is a, what this better covenant is all about. It's about letting go. Jackie says you can't not remember, right? I mean, it's so hard to like truly forget the, the things that people have done. You can forgive them, but if they've done something bad, I mean, if they've done something really bad, you, you're never going to forget that. But God says, I will remember their sins no more. They're gone. They're gone. It's as if they never happened. God says, I am going, I gave a sermon several years ago calling God the great forgetter, right? The, the, God has the ability to forget our sins, to let go of them. And it all comes from this new covenant, this better covenant, as it says in the reading. This is a better covenant. Why is this a better covenant? This is a better covenant because it's marked by believing instead of by earning and deserving, right? The old, the old covenant given to Moses for the people of Israel was marked by uh, obedience, works, right? You do these things and, and I will be your God. Verse 9 says that this is not like the old covenant I made with their ancestors because the old covenant wasn't perfect. If it had been, we wouldn't need a second one. And so we have basically what in Hebrews here, this is just a, a passage from Jeremiah 31, right? Where, where God shows that the old covenant didn't work because it, not, not that the covenant was, was bad, not that the covenant itself was imperfect, but the people right? It, it, the weakness was in the, the inability of people, the inability of humanity to do what God asked of them, right? They were unable to follow the law that God had uh, given them. And so that's where the weakness in the covenant, and so the old covenant didn't work because the people did not continue in it, right? The people said, yeah, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to do our own thing. And so the old covenant didn't work. And so the Lord makes a new covenant, then the new covenant is not based on works. It originates with God, not us. So at Sinai, in the year like 1450-ish, right, this old covenant says that Moses mediated between God and the people. The, the covenant is, here are the Ten Commandments. You do these ten things, and if you do these ten things, I will be your God, and you will be my people. But in this new covenant, the, through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus, Right? Instead, of, instead of Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, Jesus says, God's, through Jesus, God says, I will do this. I will do this. And, and there's no if you. It's I will do this. The covenant then is God saying, I will do this. I will do this because I love you. I will do this because of grace. Not because you are able to be obedient. Not because you are able to be righteous. Not because you are able to make me love you more than I love other people right? Uh, and so this is a new covenant. And, and I love this. The, the, the Greek word here used for new. There were two Greek words that they could use for new. There's neos, basically we would spell it N-E-O-S, which is something new, but it's like, it's like a better version of something else or a new version of something else, right? A better mousetrap or like, you know, the 2001 version of a vehicle versus the 2017 version, right? It's the same thing. It's just better, right? It's just a newer version of it, like a new cell phone. You go get a new cell phone, like the iPhone 10 is better than the iPhone 7, whatever. It's still an iPhone, same thing, but just a newer copy. 
Okay. And, and then there's the ancient Greek word kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S, which would be the way to uh, enunciate it, I guess. Which, um, so it, it's not something that's new to like compare to something else, but it's just new. It, it's never been seen before. It's a new thing. It's a brand new thing. It's not a reproduction of something old. It's like, it's like moving on from the telegraph to the telephone. It, it becomes something new, something the world hasn't seen before. Brand new. This new covenant that God makes is a brand new covenant, right? And so it, it, it's vastly different than the old covenant. The old covenant, I mean, it's it's so different. It's different in, in so many different ways. Different in where it was given, Mount Sinai versus Mount Zion. You know, it has different mediators. Mediators is the one who stands between the two people and brings the parties together, right? The old one was Moses. Moses, an imperfect person himself. The new one is Jesus. Jesus is the mediator that brings in the new covenant. And so they're different in, in, the, in the contract itself is different. The old covenant was a covenant of works, Right? You got to do these things to get this good thing, right? But this new covenant, this new covenant is fulfilled by the works that Jesus already completed. It is finished. The covenant is complete. It is done. All the work is done. Jesus completed all the work of the new covenant. And so then there's also a difference in priests. And that's kind of what Hebrews is all about, or has been so far, is the difference in priests. The old covenant had priests that were uh, according to the law of Moses and descended from Aaron. The new covenant has a priesthood of all believers. So we are all part of the priesthood of the new covenant. And the high priest is Jesus. Our high priest is Jesus. And we are all members of the priesthood. And then lastly, the, the, the main difference is sacrifice, right? So that thing which is given for God's forgiveness. The old covenant, there was animal sacrifices all the time. And there was a constant need for sacrifice and forgiveness, sacrifice and forgiveness and atonement. But the new, the new covenant, there isn't. There no longer needs to be sacrifice because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice in his death on the cross. And so there, there is no longer need to do any kind of sacrifice. Jesus, Jesus is the, the only sacrifice that we will ever need under the new covenant. Uh, and so what's the point of this? What's the point of all of this? Well, the point of all of this the point of why this is written to the Hebrews, to the Christians who, were, who grew up Jewish, right, was that if they're discouraged and they're thinking about falling back into their Jewish faith, falling back into the things that they grew up believing, the point here is clear. They can't go back to the old covenant. They can't go back to an inferior covenant because it's, it's, it's no longer applicable Jesus changed everything. The old covenant is obsolete. We live under the new covenant, not the old covenant. We live under the new, not the old, which is an important message to Jewish people or people who grew up Jewish and became Christians 2,000 years ago, but it's just as important to us today. It's just as important to us today. We There are so many Christians who still believe in the old covenant. It's unbelievable. How many, uh, may, may, how many people do you think actually believe, still believe, that good people go to heaven and bad people don't, right? That good people go to heaven. Good people are saved and bad people aren't. That's the old covenant, right? Karma, that's the old covenant. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people, 
right? Uh, there's a lot of people who, who go to church on Sundays and profess the Apostles' Creed, right? That Jesus was, was who he said he was and did what he said he was going to do, and yet we still believe that our, 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 our actions are what saves us. It's not. What saves us is what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it's something that needed to be reminded, the, the, the Jewish people who grew up, grew up Jewish 2,000 years ago needed to hear, and it's something that we need to hear again and again and again. We are saved by the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not because we're good people, not because we're good people, even though some of you listening I know are really good people, and I thank you for being a good person, but you don't earn your salvation through your good works. Uh, you do good works because you are saved. So amen for that. Okay, let's close with a word of prayer. A good and gracious God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for this new covenant, which gives us hope, uh, which allows us to focus on uh, a relationship with you that is not based on our ability to be good people, but based on love. And we know that love is more uh, powerful than anything we have. And so we are grateful for it and we are grateful for you. And we pray that you help us to share that love with others. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, have a wonderful day. I will see you next week.